We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. A reading from Mark 7. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please take your seats. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that you are a God who speaks to us, who speaks not only through history, but even here and now, uh, through your spirit. Um, We, God, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. Uh, We all come to you in great need of you. Uh, Some of us come with needs that are so obvious to us, Lord. They're too much to bear, and we need a word of hope from you. Some of us, Lord, come not knowing our need, not understanding how desperate we actually are for you. Some of us come this morning wondering if you are real at all. But all of us, all of us need you. And so we pray that you would speak through the power of your spirit and show us, Lord, that your love, your all-sufficient love, your all-sufficient grace runs deeper than any of us could ever imagine. And that this would heal us, that this would change us, that this would captivate us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's so good to be worshiping with you today. We are continuing through this sermon series through the Gospel of Mark, which is one of four biographies that tells the story of the life of Jesus in the New Testament. We've been calling this series The Way of Jesus because Jesus gives us a way of life that is unlike any other, and he's able to do that because he is unlike anyone we have ever seen in history or will see in history. He gives us a new way to think about religion. That's what we looked at last week. He gives us a new way to think about the good life and to pursue the good life, which is what we're going to look at next week. And he gives us a new way to deal with the problem of evil. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, Back in the 90s, uh, Andrew Delbanco wrote this book called The Death of Satan, How Americans Have Lost the Sense of Evil. 
And in this book, he talks about how while faith has declined, faith in God, faith in the supernatural has declined, and our understanding of the world has increased, uh, our ability to cope with evil, to deal with evil, to understand evil, to process evil has actually gone down. Uh, there's this, early in the book, he, he quotes the, the scene in the movie Silence of the Lamb, and uh, FBI agent Clarice Starlight has gone to, or Starling, has gone to uh, visit Hannibal Lecter, a serial, serial killer in prison, and she asks him how he ended up so twisted. And Lecter responds by saying, you can't reduce me to a set of influences. You've given up good and evil for behaviorism. Officer Starling, you've got everyone in moral dignity pants. Nothing is ever anyone's fault. Look at me. Can you stand to say I'm evil? And Delbanco, thinking about this scene, he concludes that modern people can't answer the monster's question. Modern people cannot look at a monster and say, this is evil. And Delbanco actually is not a Christian. He describes himself as an unbeliever. He's a secular scholar. He teaches American studies at Columbia University. He doesn't believe in God, and yet at the same time, he, he, he sees this sense that our modern sensibilities, our intellectual capacities can't make sense of the problem of evil. In our modern age, evil is something that we explain away with things like psychology. Maybe, maybe something happened in early childhood development that made this person turn out this way. Or we try to look to economics or sociology or politics. But despite all our learning, all our advancement, evil has not gone away. That's, that's why the news is so hard to read. It's filled with stories of evil. And some of us, some of us in this room have been touched by evil. We're coping with evil. We're recovering for evil. Uh, that's why a class like Healing Heart Wounds is actually necessary. Because we're surrounded by it and we don't know what to do with it. Today's passage shows us a better way to deal with evil. Jesus shows us a better way to deal with evil. And he shows us that the key to dealing with evil is not looking within or looking at the world around us, the key to dealing with evil is actually looking into his heart. So we're going to unpack this passage by looking at three things. Uh, number one, we're going to look at how evil is universal. Number two, we're going to look at how grace is difficult. And number three, we're going to look at how faith is wonderful. So let's start with the first point here. Evil is universal. The passage we just read opens in a different scene. Up to this point, the entire Gospel of Mark has taken place in Israel. Uh, and now, Jesus is in what Mark calls the vicinity of Tyre, in verse 24. Jesus was traveling north of Israel into modern Lebanon and Syria. Uh, he was traveling in secret, and we're not sure why, but the, there's a clue here that, that maybe Jesus was fleeing because of the harassment of the religious leaders that have been hounding him, and even Herod, who has been hounding him, who had actually put John the Baptist 
to death. Maybe he was exhausted. Maybe he, was, he needed a break. Maybe he was running from religious leaders to get a break from harassment. Whatever his reason, Jesus did not want to be found. He wanted his travel to be secret, but it didn't remain a secret because this woman, this unnamed woman, finds out where he is and goes to the home where he's staying. And Mark tells us that this woman was Greek, but she was born in Syrian Phoenicia. That's why in some of our Bibles in the heading it says that she is a Syrophoenician woman. That just means that she is from the region of Syria and Phoenicia. She was Greek, she was Syrian, and she was Phoenician. And it's surprising that she would go to Jesus because that means that she was three times non-Jewish, three times pagan, three times an enemy of Israel. Going back to the time of First Kings, her people were at war with Israel. And in the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Greeks were at war with Israel. And so she comes from a people that are the enemies of Israel, from a different religion from Israel. And so why is she coming to seek this Jewish rabbi? Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, says that the, the people of Tyre are our bitterest of enemies. Why is she going to such lengths to find Jesus? Why? Did she fall at his feet? The last time that we saw anyone fall at Jesus' feet in the Gospel of Mark, it was Jairus, the synagogue ruler, who came and fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to heal his dying daughter back in Mark 5. But this woman is nothing like that synagogue ruler. Why was she here at Jesus' feet? Well, Mark tells us in verse 25, she did it because her daughter was possessed by a demon. But how does she know what demon possession was? Did you ever wonder that? She wasn't an Israelite. She followed a completely different religion. She came from a very different culture. How did she know that her daughter was demon-possessed, and why did she think that Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, could possibly help her? And the answer is that evil is a universal problem, a problem that transcends culture, that transcends language, that transcends custom, that transcends religion, that transcends belief or even unbelief. In his book, uh, River Out of Eden, the famous atheist Richard Dawkins says this about the problem of evil. He says that evil is an illusion. He says, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people aren't going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Try saying that to someone who has lost a loved one to murder. Try saying that to someone who has experienced abuse. Try saying that to someone who has been the victim of discrimination. Try saying that to someone who has been enslaved, who has been exploited, who has been oppressed. 
it doesn't work because we all know deep inside, no matter what we believe in our heads, we know in our hearts that evil is real and it is a universal problem. See, our culture says that it's naive to believe in demons. And maybe as you read this passage, you felt really uncomfortable by this story of demon possession. But the bigger problem is not the existence of demons. The bigger problem is the existence of evil because it's far more naive to believe that evil is an illusion. So here's the question that all of us need to wrestle with. Where does evil come from? Is evil merely a matter of opinion? Does it come from our imagination? Is it a social construct? Or is it part of a spiritual reality that is bigger than any of us? The Bible says that evil comes from a supernatural being who turned away from God and infiltrated all of God's creation to turn it against God. And that is why we have evil around us. And that is why we have evil inside us. And it is bigger than any of us. Three years ago, a 19-year-old man walked into the Chabad Community Center in Poway in California, Southern California, and started shooting. His parents were actually devout Christians. They went to a church that a classmate of mine in seminary pastors, and they made a public statement, and this is what they said. They said, we are shocked and deeply saddened by the terrible attack on the Kabad of Poway Synagogue. But our sadness pales in comparison to the grief and anguish our son has caused. For so many innocent people he has killed and injured, the faithful who were gathered in a sacred place on a sacred day, to our great shame, he is now part of the history of evil that has been perpetrated on Jewish people for centuries. Now, I don't know exactly what demon possession in the Bible looked like. I don't know what demon possession looked like for this woman's daughter. But I suspect that this woman would understand the parents of this Poway shooter. She knew that there was an oppressive evil that had taken over her daughter's life. She didn't need a philosophical lesson about evil or demons. She needed help, even help from a rabbi. Because if you've ever encountered pure evil, true evil, you know that it is real and it is overwhelming and it is too big for any of us. It is a universal problem that none of us can escape. And the good news is that there is help. Which brings us to our second point today. Grace is difficult. Jesus had this incredible opportunity to help this woman. Here is a foreign woman coming from a different religion, coming to Jesus, looking for help. He could have given her a word of kindness. He could have invited her in. He could have given her a hug. She had been so vulnerable with him. She had been so courageous in coming to him. But instead of granting her request, in verse 27, he says one of the most shocking words that he ever utters in the Bible. He says, first let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. 
did Jesus really just call this woman a dog? What in the world is going on here? My instinct as a pastor, and this is a struggle that I had throughout this week wrestling with this passage, my instinct as a pastor is to show you that this is actually better than it sounds. But, and there are explanations that we could make to kind of make it sound a little bit better. If you read the version of this story in Matthew 15, Jesus explains that he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And so Jesus is just saying, I'm not here for that long. I'm, I'm not going to stay in Tyre or Syrian Phoenicia. I need to go back to Israel. I have more work to do. My work there is not finished. I came for Israel. I came to fulfill all the Old Testament prophecies. I came to be the long-promised Messiah. There were theological reasons for Jesus to say this to this woman, but he didn't have to call her a dog. He could have just said, well, n hold on a minute. Let me explain to you the theological reason behind my mission. Why did Jesus call her a dog? Well, maybe he meant dog in a good way. If, if, if you look at the New Testament Greek, the word that he uses for dog is actually puppy. So maybe Jesus, maybe Jesus is saying, oh, you sweet little puppy. Think about the children. Think about the children. Don't worry, your turn is coming. The problem is this is not the way the word dog ever appears in the Old Testament. In the Bible, calling someone a dog is always an insult. Dogs in the ancient world were scavengers. And if you've seen dogs outside of the United States, that's usually what dogs are. They're scavengers. When David uh, fought Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, Goliath said, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? In 2 Corinthians 16, when a man insulted King David, one of his generals said, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off his head. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, do not give dogs what is sacred. See, in the Bible, when you call someone a dog, it is not a good thing. There is no good way to call someone a dog. It is always an insult, and it means that you are outside of the circle of God's community. You are, you, you are outside the line of morality. You are worthless. You're disgusting. You're a dirty animal. And so we, we need to sit with this. The uncomfortableness of this scene, of this word, the uncomfortable fact that Jesus has called this woman a dog. When Jesus makes people feel uncomfortable, it's always on purpose. Think about last week, earlier in Mark chapter 7, when he called the religious leaders hypocrites. That was on purpose. He meant to make them feel uncomfortable. And we, we might understand that. We might say, yeah, those religious leaders had it coming, Jesus. But why this woman? Why is he calling this woman a dog? Why does he have to make her uncomfortable? Why does he have to make us uncomfortable? Why is this in the Bible? Well, he did it because grace shows us difficult things about ourselves. Grace shows difficult things about ourselves. In 1959, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he preached a sermon 
all revolving around the question, why could we not cast him out? And it's the question that Jesus' disciples asked him when they failed to cast out the demon of a little boy in Mark, 7, in Mark 9 and in Matthew 17. And this is what Dr. King says. He says, many of you here know something of what it is to struggle with sin. Year by year, you became aware of a terrible sin that was taking possession of your life. It may have been slavery to drink, untruthfulness, impurity or selfishness. As the years unfolded, the vice grew bolder and bolder. You knew all along that it was an unnatural intruder. And you said to yourself, one day I am going to rise up and drive this evil out. I know it is wrong. It is destroying my character and embarrassing my family. At last the day came. You made a New Year's resolution that you would get rid of the whole base thing. And then the New Year came. And you were doing the old evil. Can you remember the surprise and disappointment that gripped you when you discovered that after all your sincere efforts, the old habit was still there? In utter amazement, you found yourself asking, why could I not cast it out? Dr. King goes on to say that the problem that has always frustrated humanity has been our inability to conquer evil by our own power. He says, we're constantly asking in pathetic amazement, why can I not cast it out? Why can I not remove this evil from my life? And the answer to this question is rather simple, Dr. King says. Man by his own power can never cast evil out of the world. The humanist's hope is an illusion. See, when Jesus called this woman a dog, it had to trigger so many feelings. She already felt like a dog. Her daughter was demon-possessed. She, she was so broken. Her life was falling apart. Why call her a dog? Because in our worst moments, all of us are still worse than we think we are. See, the gospel, the grace of God has difficult things to show us about ourselves, but it does it not to keep us down or to show us that we are hopeless. In fact, it's the opposite. God's grace shows us hard things about ourselves so that we could put our hope not in ourselves, but in him. See, the good news, the good news is that you don't need to be an amazing person to be a candidate for the grace of God. The good news is that you could even be a dog. It means that you don't need to try to save yourself. The good news is that you have a good Savior. And this brings us to the last thing we want to look at today. Faith is wonderful. How would you respond if Jesus were in this room and he called you a dog? Let me put it this way. How have you responded when God has made you feel like a dog. You ask God for help, but you got illness. You, you ask God for deliverance, but you remain stuck. You ask God for reconciliation, but the, the, the person that you love still hates your guts. You ask God for success, but you got failure. 
You ask God for love, but you still have loneliness. You ask God for sobriety, but you keep slipping up. When God makes you feel like a dog, what do you say to him? Well, this woman said, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And this, doesn't this blow you away? It even blew Jesus away. It's pretty hard to shock Jesus. But Jesus was shocked by her response. In the parallel passage in Matthew, Jesus says, woman, you have great faith. And in the book of Matthew, she's the only person that Jesus says that to. It's incredible. How could Jesus say, or how could this woman say such a thing to Jesus? Well, it's because she saw the love beneath Jesus' frowns. Matthew Henry said this story in the Bible teaches us that there may be love in Christ's hearts while there are frowns on his face. And this is what this woman saw. She didn't focus on the frown on Jesus' face. She focused on the love in his heart. See, when you feel like God is frowning down on your life, you need to look at the love in his heart. That's what this, what this woman did. She saw that Jesus didn't say no to her request. Did you notice that? Jesus actually said, never says no. He says, not yet. Not yet. She already knew that she was a dog. That didn't phase her. What shook her to the core was that Jesus told her that her turn was coming. Her daughter would not be oppressed by evil forever. She could not cast this evil out. Her daughter could not cast his evil out, but Jesus would do it. Her time was coming. She didn't fixate on the frown on Jesus' face. She fixated on the love in Jesus' heart. Tim Keller, he puts it this way, and it's so profound. She says, she's not saying, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. She's saying, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness, and I want it now. Do you have faith like this? Do you see that even when you do not deserve God's power in your life, even when you don't deserve God's love in your life, even when you don't deserve God's hand in your life, that you could ask for it because you ask for it not on the basis of your goodness, but his goodness. Can you go to Jesus and see that there is love in his heart even when there are frowns on his face? Can you go to Jesus and lay your life before him and ask him boldly for things that you know that you have no right asking for. If you know this, if you believe this, and if you can do this, it will change everything. Jesus told this woman that she could go home because the demon had left her daughter in verse 29. And when she arrived, she saw that her child was lying in bed and the demon had gone. This was a crumb from God's table. Evil cast out Darkness defeated, death overcome, just a crumb. This is just a crumb from the table of God. See, the reason we struggle so much with our faith is we don't understand how precious the crumbs of God are. Because if we knew, 
If we saw the love behind these crumbs, we would see that God is far kinder and far more loving and far more generous than we could ever imagine. We have trouble trusting God because we treat his crumbs of mercy like stale bread when they are actually infinitely richer than the most gourmet meal that we could ever buy. There is love in Jesus' heart beneath all his frowns. Don't focus on his frowns. Focus on the love. And you could see that love at this table. Because at this table, which represents the body of Jesus broken for us and the blood of Jesus shed for us, we see that Jesus was cast out from the table of God without a crumb so that you and I can be invited into the table of God and eat like kings and queens. Jesus is able to cast evil out because he was cast out to be overcome by evil on the cross for our sakes. Even though we feel like dogs, we can come to God as his beloved sons and daughters because Jesus, who is the only begotten son of God, was discarded like a filthy dog because he died like a dog in our place. If you've never known this, if you've never known this love, the love beneath God's frowns, the love of the cross, the love of the resurrection, the love of Jesus, you can know it today. Think about this Syrophoenician woman. She didn't know anything about the Bible. Her life was so broken that she, her daughter was demon-possessed. All she had was faith in Jesus, and it changed everything. Evil was cast out in her life. And so for the first time or one more time, come to Jesus this morning and put your hope in the love that flows from the cross. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat of this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you that you love us so deeply and completely that you would send your only begotten son to die like a dog in our place that we may know in the depths of our souls no matter how difficult life gets, no matter how much evil is around us, no matter how much evil is inside us, Lord, that you have made a way to come to this table as your beloved sons and daughters. And so, Lord, will you help us to believe and to trust this to trust this in the waiting as we wait on you, that your answers in Jesus are never no. It is always yes and amen, even if sometimes it is not yet. Lord, give us patience, give us perseverance, and most of all, give us wondrous faith in our wondrous Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.